If you are a first-time guest, in the seat backs in front of you, you don't know because they're way down there deep in the pockets. That's where these are. So please take a moment, fill out one of these, and uh, drop it in the offering box in the back at the end of the service. We'd love to have you do that. Now, I was blown away last week by the number of first-time guests that were here. I think I counted 10 or 11 that were here for the first time. So uh, if you were here last week and you came back, would you please fill out one of these and drop it in there? We'd love to have a record of your visit here. Turn the mic down just a little bit because I'm afraid I might hurt somebody if I get too excited here, all right? I was uh, trying to find my mom, uh, uh, some pictures of my mother that I particularly like. I found, uh, I found one and I posted on uh, Facebook, but um, I really miss my mom, lost her about five years ago. And uh, my mom had uh, her own philosophy. I know some of you ladies have your own philosophies, right? And you pass them on to your kids. And uh, uh, so my mom taught me to appreciate a job well done. Uh, she said, uh, she would say things like, if you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning the house. <laughs> so uh, she taught me religion. You better pray that comes out of the carpet. Uh, she taught me logic because I said so. That's why. It's hard to argue with that kind of logic. Uh, my mom used irony, too. She says, you keep laughing, and I'll give you something to cry about. Never could figure that one out. Um, she taught me about osmosis when she said, shut your mouth and eat your supper. How are you going to do that, you know? How in the world can you do that? And she taught me about the circle of life. She said, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. So uh, moms are, are very special kind of people, and there are four very, very special, influential moms in my life. Uh, my mom, first of all, uh, my wife, who's seated right here in the second row, uh, and my mother-in-law, uh, and my daughters. Actually, there's five because now my, my second daughter has had her uh, baby, so there are five. My mom was an example to me. Uh, she loved the Lord. She served God. Uh, she was the first person that I remember uh, praying with me and uh, teaching me about the things of God. You moms have a profound influence on your children for good and for God. She was an encourager. My mom always encouraged me. Um, she was my first, I always say my first cheerleader. Uh, she believed that her son could do just about anything, and uh, I appreciate that. Uh, my wife uh, is, is uh, I can't even tell you, in, in about a month, you know, it'll be 46 years we've been married, and I just absolutely love her to death more and more every single day. Um, she is intuitive. She is compassionate. She's spiritual. She is my best cheerleader now and has been for these 46 years. I love her to death. You're the best mom I know, and I appreciate you, Pat. Uh, my mother-in-law was a, was a great uh, mother in my life, and, you know, you hear all these things about mother-in-laws, you know. How many of you are mother-in-laws? Uh, you don't admit it. Okay, just, all right, just bad. Well, anyhow, my mother-in-law was incredible. Uh, my mom and my mother-in-law never interfered. If, they, if, if we asked for advice, they would give it, and they were always there for us, but they never interfered. But my mother-in-law knew the way to this guy's heart because when we would go visit her in Kansas, she would bake two banana puddings, one for everybody else and one for me. That's why I'm so well upholstered now, uh, is all those banana puddings. And then my oldest daughter, Shannon, uh, is so dedicated and, and involved in serving God and faithful to God. She's a preacher's wife up in Escondido. And uh, I just, the way she loves on her uh, children, she has two children, 
Uh, it's just incredible. And my youngest daughter, 30, what, nine years old, uh, has a little one, a little over one-year-old grandbaby, our grandbaby, one-year-old baby to her. And I, I watch her, and I can't imagine being as patient and loving and, and self-sacrificing as she is. So all of them, uh, all of these moms in my life show love, a real agape love, unselfish love, um, unconditional love. Moms always love your kids unconditionally. Never tell them mommy will love you if you do such and such. You just tell them mommy will love you, period. Now, if you mess up, I'm going to take care of it, but I'm still going to love you while I'm taking care of you. Some of you are great moms. Some of you are Christian moms. You've been Christian mom the whole time. Some of you maybe became a, a child of God after you had your children, and you wish you could go back, kind of do some things differently, kind of do some things uh, over. We don't always get those do-overs. Uh, but you love your kids with a supernatural love. Some of you would love to be moms, but you, for whatever reason, have not been able to be a mom, or maybe you've lost your children. And or a child, and I want to be very specially concerned and sensitive to you on this particular day because those are tough, tough times for you. But love evidences itself in, in many, many different ways. And I want to give you four different ways from the Word of God today, uh, four influential moms, four moms that made a difference in the lives of their children, and, um, and, and I think they would be good examples for you to emulate uh, in today's world. There's, first of all, the protective mother in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2, verse 4. In Exodus 1, 22, then Pharaoh gave the order to all his people, throw all the newborn Israelite boys into the Nile River, but you may spare the baby girls. You remember the story how that now Israel had been enslaved in Egypt for a long time, many generations. Uh, a Pharaoh now had grown up and taken uh, power and position who didn't know Moses, who didn't know uh, rather the, the children of Israel the, that had moved there uh, originally and had, he had given them special lands. This, this new Pharaoh didn't know them and they were, these people were enslaved. And they started reproducing like crazy, and, uh, and Pharaoh got concerned that they were going to foment a rebellion from within. And so he said, well, I've got a plan. The plan is we're going to kill all the baby boys. We'll keep the baby girls uh, alive. And so in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, during this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw what a beautiful baby he was and kept him hidden for three months. Moms, I want you to try to imagine that. I want you to try to imagine keeping a newborn baby hidden for three months. I want you, yeah, you know, how does that work? I mean, I'm sure your, your baby is perfectly quiet all the time, never, ever throws in fits, never, ever cries, never. I'm sure it's really an easy thing for some of you, but not so much for our kids. They, uh, they were loud at times. How do you keep them hidden for three months? But when she could no longer hide him, she got a little basket made of papyrus reeds, and she waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and she put the baby in the basket and laid it uh, among the reeds along the edge of the Nile River. Verse 4, the baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. This was Moses' mother. Moses' mother made sure that Moses was protected even if it meant her own life was in grave danger. 
They, they kept that baby alive. They didn't throw the baby into the Nile. They didn't sacrifice that baby. They, they kept him alive. They protected him. They watched over him. And, and Pharaoh was cruel and merciless and fearful and vengeful. And yet this mom and this dad said, we're going to do whatever we can to keep our son alive. He's, a, he's an incredible baby. Imagine her concerns early on when she found out she was pregnant. I, I kind of I think she probably went through this process of, oh, God, please, let this be a baby girl. Because if it is a baby boy, then, then we're going to be in danger. He's going to be in danger. I'm going to be in danger because I can't, I can't kill my own baby. So, Lord, let it, please let it be a little girl. And when she got the sonogram back and she saw that it wasn't a, what? And she saw that it wasn't a, 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 a little girl at all. Uh, she realized that she would have to put her life on the line for him. Can we appreciate her fears when her baby was delivered and it was a boy? How did they hide him? How did they hide his cries? What must she have felt when she placed her son in that basket in the river? Can you imagine for a moment taking a basket, waterproofing, I don't care how well you waterproof it, putting a little baby blanket in there and putting your baby and taking down even to the bay and putting the, the baby in the bay. Can you imagine having to do that such desperation? I also kind of imagine, it's not in the Word of God, but I kind of imagine that the mom said, Miriam, I want you to go watch what happened. Now, that part's in the Bible, but I, I can imagine Miriam said, why me? Why do I have to do it? You just, girl, go down there and watch this little boy. Watch my baby. See what happens to him. Make sure he's okay. I see great faith in this act and provision. I think, I don't think she was abandoning her son. I think she knew that God had a plan. Somehow, she knew that God had a plan. And as she put him there, you know the story how the princess came down to the reeds and heard the baby cry and sent her servants over and got the baby out and saved him from the water. That's what Moses means, basically, taken out, say, from the water. And, and she raised him as her own. And guess what? Miriam was there and said, hey, would you like, would you like someone to nurse this baby? And uh, yes, I would. Do you know anybody? I just think I might know somebody who would be able to take care of that. And she went and told her mom. And her mom had the privilege of going ahead and nursing her own son. She put him in the Niles, commanded, but with safety and with purpose. She knew somehow God had plans for a son. And I say that to say this. Godly mothers protect their children. Physically, morally, emotionally, and spiritually. And sometimes our children don't like the boundaries we put. Sometimes they don't like the overview and the supervision that we put in their lives. But it's important. And I like to draw a parallel in the same way that mothers are protective of their children. A thousandfold, ten thousandfold, God is protective of his children. How many times has God saved you and me from some certain demise, some awful thing? He is that kind of God. He's a God of protection. Secondly, I see a supportive mother in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 24. You know the story of Hannah, how that uh, she had begged God for a child. She wasn't able to have children. Uh, her, her adversary had children. She didn't have children. She kept begging God. She was in the temple one day and prayed, but she, she didn't pray out loud. She was praying, and, and her lips were moving, and Eli thought she had been drinking, and he rebuked her, and she said, oh, no, the sorrow I have is because I'm I don't have a child, and I want to have a child. And he said, next year at this time, you'll have a child. 
And sure enough, she had a baby. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 24, when the child was finished nursing, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a half a bushel of flour and some wine. And after sacrificing the bull, they took the child to Eli. Eli was the high priest of the tabernacle. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I'm the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this child, and he has given me my request. And now I'm giving him back to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. They made their sacrifices and worshiped God. Hannah had promised God if she had a male child, she would give him back to the Lord. She was a supportive mom of her son. She was, Samuel was born and, and at an early age still taken to the, uh, to the tabernacle, uh, but Hannah continued to bring him uh, clothes and uh, every year when she would come, in fact, in verse 19, every year's mother made a small coat for him and brought it to him, and she came with her husband for the sacrifice. She continued to be supportive of Samuel. Samuel became an incredible prophet of God, one of the greatest prophets uh, of God. Very little, uh, hardly anything is said negative about Samuel. There are only two people I know of in the Bible besides Jesus that that's true about, and that would be Samuel and that would be Joseph. Um, but uh, he, he's an incredible man because his mother was supportive other, uh, of him. We, we need to learn the lesson, parents. We cannot keep what we cling to. There comes a point we have to give our children to God. Earlier on is better. We're going to have a child dedication in a little while, uh, and that's kind of a, a amazing in itself. Denise, I think I dedicated you to the Lord in, our, in, in a church, another church. Uh, um, how many years ago? Ten? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Whatever. And now we're going to dedicate her baby to the Lord in this service. What an amazing thing. We can't, we can't keep what we cling to. We have to give it. And when God gives to us, we say they're our children. They're not really our children, are they? They're his. They're created in our, we'd say, well, you, they look like you, but guess what? They're in the image of God. So children are heritage of the Lord. They belong to him, so we give them back to him. If we want something, we must give it away. The same is true with our children. same is true with tithes and offerings. Anything we give to God was first given to us by him. <clears throat> Every good gift we have comes from him. Hannah was a supportive mother. The third mom here, by the way, God supports us our entire lives. Some of you, if you look back at your life, you wonder how in the world you got where you are right now because God was there for you. And if you're struggling and you don't have God as your support system, you don't have God as the one who's taking care of your every need, then I, I beg you to consider turning your life over to him, giving your future to him. Just like Hannah gave her son to God, give your future, give the rest of your life to him. He loves you so much. He died for you on the cross of Calvary. He was buried and he rose again. And he'll give you everlasting life if you'll trust him today. The third mom here is the instructive mother in, first, in 2 Timothy 1, 5. He's talking to Timothy. Paul says, I know that you sincerely trust the Lord, for you have the faith of your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. That's significant. Every word of God is significant. He didn't say anything about the grandfather here. He didn't say anything about your father. He said, you have the faith of your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. Two ladies were very influential in Timothy's life. Timothy was a young man serving God, and it was attributable to Eunice 
and to Lois. Now, where did Timothy get that faith? In 2 Timothy 3.15, you have been taught from the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Jesus Christ. So Timothy's mother and grandmother set an example of faith for this young man, and, and they taught him Scriptures at an early age. From whom do children learn about God? From whom do they first learn about God, I should say? Or not? They learn about God or they don't learn about God, first of all, from their mom. The mom and dad. They're the ones, you know, to a little baby, to a little child, and I don't mean this in a blasphemous way, but their parents are God. They're the ultimate authority. They're the provider. They're the protectors. They're the one who support them. They do everything. They, they, that, uh, their parents are their gods. And when those parents are right with the Lord and, and are walking with Christ, then they instill into their children the idea that there is a supreme being to whom we are accountable, who loves us supremely, who wants us, whether we're from India, from the United States, from Mexico, from Canada, from France, from wherever it is, he wants us to know his son, Jesus Christ, as our personal Savior. A mom teaches in two different ways. Everybody knows that. She teaches by word, of course, but she teaches by walk. Kids will watch what their moms do. They'll follow their mom's footsteps. Saying one thing and doing another confuses the children, but God teaches by his word and by his walk. And by the way, our God taught the same way. He gave us his word, which the Bible says is fully inspired, Every word completely inspired by God. Every word. How do we know how to go to heaven? How do we know that we're sinners? How do we know there's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved? How do we know that the Muslims need Christ instead of just letting them practice their own religion? How do we know? Uh, how, how, do we, how do we know any of that? It's because of the Word of God, the authority of Scriptures. The Word of God is supernaturally God-breathed, inspired. It is complete, it, 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 word for word, not just the thoughts. The words themselves are inspired. So God has taught us by His Word, and God taught us by His walk when Jesus was on this earth. Born as a little child, raised up, crucified at 33 years of age, never one time, never one time sinned. I can't imagine as a little boy not stealing a cookie. I can't imagine as a little child not telling a lie, just trying to stay out of trouble. But so it was with Jesus Christ. He taught us by word and by his walk. The last one I'm going to talk about is the loyal mother in John 19, 25. This is Mary. The Bible says, standing by the cross where Jesus' mother were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the life of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene. Three different Marys there. Mary, the mother of Christ, Mary, the wife of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there, I want you to know, he's hanging on the cross, okay? His, his hands have been nailed. His feet have been nailed. He's already been beaten to the point where a lesser man would have died. He has a crown of thorns. He is dying by asphyxiation on the cross, unable hardly to take in a breath, certainly not a very good breath. And every time he did, his back would would rub against that old rugged cross, and he would be in excruciating pain. And yet, take in a breath he did, and he said, Woman, behold your son, and son, behold your, your mom. 
and he was talking to Jesus as, to, to Mary as he said, John is going to take care of you now. John, I want you to take care of mom. So the first thing he says to his mother is I've provided for you. Someone's going to take care of you. I'm not going to be there for you now. So I want John to take care of you. John, treat her like your own mom. You know why? Because Mary was loyal to her son to the point of his death. And we need to be loyal to our children. Doesn't mean we need to approve of our children's sin, but we should be loyal to our children wherever they are, whatever they're doing. Mary's godly, loyal mothering came back to her in the form of provision and thoughtfulness by her son, Jesus. Mom, John will take care of you now that I'm leaving. John, take care of mom as if she were yours. And if we draw the parallel to our God, he made a promise that he will never, ever, ever leave us nor forsake us. Never. Never. Protective mom, a supportive mom, an instructive mom, a loyal mom. Those are the kind of moms that make a difference in their children, in their home, and their nation. Do you know the story of Susanna Wesley? Do you know the story of Susanna Wesley? Although she never preached a sermon or published a book or founded a church, she is known as the mother of Methodism. Why? Because two of her sons, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, as children, consciously or unconsciously, uh, applied the example and the teachings and circumstances of her home life. Susanna Wesley was the 25th of 25 children. Holy cow. And she had 19 children. Unfortunately, nine died in infancy. For one whole year, her husband was gone, and she found time to, to, found a way to spend time daily with God and, and with her children one-on-one according to a strict schedule. They said when she would spend time with God, she would, take her, she would sit down, take her apron, and put it up over her head and spend time with God. When the kids saw mom sitting at that chair with an apron over her head, they knew to leave her alone. She was spending time with God. When they reached the age of five, she would begin to instruct their children in school for six hours a day. They learned things like what? Latin and Greek? What? Along with a regimen of other studies, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And two of her children, Charles and John, are founders of the Methodist Church, instrumental in revivals in England and the United States, and of course authored many, many Christian songs that we sing still today. So moms, what will you do if you still have children in the home? Will you be that kind of mom? And what will we do, dads, to love and appreciate what our moms go through to the very brink and portal of death itself to bring children into this world that are gifts from God that we then get to mold and make into what God wants them to be? And the last application I make is this. God is often referred to and always referred to in a masculine sense, so far as I know, but God the Father, we call him, says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how oft I wanted to gather your children together as a mother hen. As a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you would not. Our God, we call him God the Father, God's Son, God the Holy Spirit, 
but he loves us with a mother's love, protects us, instructs us, is loyal to us, stays with us, loves us unconditionally. What a challenge to trust that kind of a God, to follow that kind of a God, to imitate that kind of a God. Would you bear your heads, please? Let's think about for a moment the kind of God that, that he is. Father, I pray, first of all, for every mom here. I pray, God, that you would renew their vision, their drive, their determination to be exactly what they need to be, what you want them to be. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would speak to their hearts. I pray that you would encourage those who are discouraged. I pray that you would uh, give revival to those who are kind of down spiritually. I pray, God, for those who maybe single moms that are here or maybe those who wish they could be a mom but are not or maybe have lost a child, that you would give special comfort as only you can. And then, Lord, above all of that, may every one of us understand that you're there for us in every way that a good godly mom is, that you're there to forgive us, to clean us up when we fall and get blooded up in, in life, and that you're the, you're the one who unconditionally loves us all the way to the cross of Calvary. Father, bless, and I pray for each person here. In Jesus' name, with every head still bowed, every head, could I ask you a couple personal questions? I don't want to embarrass anybody. promise I won't. But how many would say, preacher, I want you to pray for me that I would be the kind of godly mom that I really want to be, that I really need to be. But I'm, I'm weak. I need God's help. And I want you to pray for me that I'll be that kind of a mom. With every head bowed, would you raise your hands? Hold them up for just a few moments. God bless you, folks. That's encouraging. Thank you so much. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Let me ask you this question. Is there someone or several someones perhaps here today? who say, Pastor, I, I've, I don't know for sure that I'm right with God. I don't know that if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't have that assurance in my heart. I'm not sure that my sins are forgiven and that I'm born into God's family. I'm just not sure about that, and I want you to pray for me. Again, I won't embarrass you, but with every head bowed, just lift your hand up and let me pray for you. Hold it up. God bless you and you and you. Yes, God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Father, you know the hearts of each person who's raised their hands. You know the heart's desire of these moms to be godly moms. I pray that, Lord, you would, you would, I can't imagine, I can't imagine how exhausting it is to be a great mom. So I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen each one who raised their hand a moment ago and maybe some who wish they had but didn't for whatever reason. Lord, for these who raised their hands are not certain that if they died today, they'd be in heaven tonight. That's the most important thing we can ever decide. So, Lord, I pray right now where they're seated that they would, they would turn to you in faith and that they would pray and ask you to be their Savior and to forgive them of their sins. And with every head bowed, you can pray this prayer. You don't have to say it out loud, you who raised your hands, or maybe you who didn't. Just say this, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve to go to heaven I believe that Jesus is your son, and I believe he was crucified on the cross of Calvary, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And your word says, if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that we can be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall 
be saved. A promise from you. So Lord, I pray these who are not certain would make sure by putting their faith in Jesus Christ right now. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.